Welcome to The God Solution, a place where we discuss solid evidence for the Christian faith and interviews with leading Christian apologists. Each week, you'll be encouraged in your faith and equipped to defend it and share it in your daily life. You can find out more about The God Solution at godsolutionshow.com. Well, hey there. Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. Well, I'm Grant Percet. I'm sitting in for Nate, who is out. And today I'm going to be talking about the case for the resurrection. Now, when I talk about the case for the resurrection or really any uh, defense of the Christianity or any subject like that, I have really one main focus in mind. And my main focus is how to use this information in conversations. There are brilliant scholars. There's brilliant teachers out there. But sometimes I can read, you know, three, four, five books on a subject, and the first time I get in a conversation, it's really tough to use and it's challenging to use. So my focus is to try to help you defend the resurrection and defend your faith in Christ. So I'm going to be sharing today what's known as the minimal facts approach that was um, coined and, and really written about by Dr. Gary Habermas. And I just call this the case for the resurrection of Jesus. That's the name of a book that he wrote about this with Dr. Mike Lacona. So just remember, if I steal from one person, it's called plagiarism. If I steal from many people or more than one person, it's called research. So this is totally legal. It's above board. So before I get going, I want to kind of start off with saying, you know, when you get into the conversation... Um, how do you really start in with this argument? Because it's pretty good. I want to do a decent job. We've got about a little less than half an hour to talk about this, and I want to do the argument justice if you've never heard it before. But I want to have time to discuss how to use this in the conversation. So I want to start by saying you need to have a couple questions in mind. You need to be equipped with questions. Like Greg Kokel says in Tactics, questions are a powerful way of not only getting out of the hot seat when you find yourself in a discussion, but it's also a way of of respectfully kind of driving the conversation and framing the argument where you want to go. So one of the questions that Dr. Frank Turek suggests using is this. You ask the person, if you found out that Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Now, I've asked that to a lot of people, and most people say yes, but if the person really kind of pauses too long or even says no, well, then you, you really don't have responsibility to share with them. That's up to you. I mean, Paul witnessed when they didn't want him to witness, so I'm never going to tell you not to witness. But if the person's saying no, they don't want to, you can reengage at a later time. But when someone, when you find yourself in a conversation about Christianity or someone asks you a question, it could be about heaven, hell, the Bible transmission, problem of evil and suffering. It could be anything, really. I suggest using Dr. Frank Turek's question, if you found out Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And see what they say. So another way of dealing with this topic is, I will say to people, man, there is so much evidence for the Christian faith. I just had no idea because I grew, I didn't step foot into church till I was 20. And I'll just leave the question there. 
and I'll just wait. And sometimes they'll ask, and sometimes they'll ask days later. Sometimes they'll um, not say anything. So I'm just really fishing for um, an opportunity to have that conversation with people. Another thing you can do is say, you know what? If Jesus lived, died, and rose from the dead, then game on. Christianity is both possible and likely. So let's get into the meat of the argument. I want to I give you the outline of the argument so that you can use it. And I suggest learning the argument and then being able to share it in a short way. And here's, here's your one-liner if you forget everything else that I'm going to say. All of Christianity boils down to one three-word question. Is he risen? That's it. Is he risen? If Jesus rose from the dead, then people have an incredible adventure in front of them, and you have a focus in knowing God and making him known. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then you know what? I'm sleeping in on Sunday, going to IHOP and getting extra syrup heated up because I'm not waking up early to go to church. I'm not a morning person anyway, so why do I want to give my money and time for something that's not true? Now, to some of you, that might sound a little blasphemous, but if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 and 19, Paul says as much in those verses. He basically says, if Christ is not risen from the dead, our preaching is useless, your faith is in vain, it's basically worthless. So he gives us a condition of falsifiability. If the resurrection's true, then let's look at it and take it seriously. If it's not, well, then game over. And so that's why in conversations, a lot of times I'll ask the person who is challenging me on Christianity or asking me about it, I'll just politely say, hey, what do you understand the gospel to be? What do you understand the message of the Bible to be? What do you understand Christianity to be? And just listen to their answer, because I find that most people, unfortunately some go to church, don't really have a full biblical worldview. They don't understand the gospel very well. And so it, how are they going to um, understand what you're talking about unless you explain what Christianity is first? So be ready to share the gospel. Be ready to talk about the Christian worldview. Okay, so now let me really get into the argument here. And what Dr. Habermas did is he surveyed almost 40 years of German, French, and English critical scholarship relating to Jesus' resurrection. And he found out something amazing. There are actually historical facts that we can talk to people about when it comes to history. And these facts include Jesus was died by crucifixion on the cross. The tomb was empty. The disciples believed they saw Jesus after death. The disciples were willing to suffer and in some cases we know beyond a reasonable doubt they were willing to die for their faith. Also, Paul, the church persecutor who killed Christians, believing he was doing so sincerely for God, he converted to Christianity and died for his faith. And then you have James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, who was a skeptic during the lifetime of Jesus. He converted. So these are six facts. The empty tomb is at 75%. It is a little less, still a historical fact. But the rest of these facts are agreed upon by atheists, by Christians, by liberal, by conservative, by virtually all scholars in the field. There's no one in secular 
or religious history that really believes Jesus did not live. I mean, so we need to look at real academic scholarship and not just people taking shots on the Internet. Even though those can be hard to deal with sometimes, they're just not dealing with the facts. Okay, Jesus died on the cross. The tomb was empty. The disciples believed they saw Jesus after death. The disciples were willing to suffer for their faith. Paul converted. James converted. What are you going to do with those facts? Well, cutting to the chase, the bottom line is the most reasonable conclusion is that Jesus died and rose from the dead. He was resurrected miraculously. Now, I'm going to say right away that I think the main reason people reject this is they have a bias against miracles. And I say this because when I ask people who come up with an alternate theory about what happened is they'll say, well, I know miracles don't happen, so it has to be something else. Ah, so what you're telling me is you've closed your mind to the possibility of miracles. Hey, that's their choice. That's their free will. If you want to do that, go ahead. Me, I'm going to keep an open mind. I want to search where the truth leads me. I want to follow it. And if we're talking about eternity, I don't know what is more important than our eternal life. The fact of, if is there a heaven? Is there a hell? These are, to me, the most important questions. And we should have answers. So there's a couple alternate theories that I'll explain, and the main, three of the main ones I'll talk about briefly are uh, hallucination theory, the swoon theory, and the idea that the disciples stole the body. Okay, so now that I've sketched out the argument, I just want to flush it out a little bit more and kind of thicken it up for you. And even if you can't repeat it all and you memorize everything I say, that's okay. Um, you can listen to this again. Um, on our website, on Nate's website, thegodsolutionshow.com. You can also buy or go to Dr. Gary Habermas, his website. You can also buy the book, The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so here's um, some meat to the arguments. The first fact is that Jesus died on the cross. What a lot of people even at church are surprised to find out is that we have extra biblical sources on this information. We're not just quoting the Bible. We're not just quoting um, New Testament books, which I'm going to argue are historically accurate, but that's kind of another direction that's going. We don't even have to prove the Bible is the word of God to make this argument. And I know that sounds odd, but all we have to do is establish the, the six historical facts I just repeated, or a couple of them. You don't have to prove the Bible is the word of God immediately. We're hoping that people are going to come to that conclusion after they accept Christ and after they understand the Bible. But they don't have to take that right away. So number one, that Jesus died on the cross. We have extra biblical evidence from Josephus. Josephus was a first century Jewish historian. He was born about AD 37, actually to a highly respected priest in Jerusalem named Matthias. And so it placed Josephus geographically and chronologically in a position where he would have heard about Jesus in that. So Josephus wrote in one of, his, one of the locations, when Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him to be crucified. So he mentions Pilate, he mentions crucifixion, he talks about Jesus in a couple passages. And so Josephus 
not biblical verses are mentioning Pilate, they're mentioning crucified, they're mentioning Jesus. So he's one source. Another source is Tacitus. Tacitus was generally regarded as one of the greatest Roman historians. He, was, he lived from 56 to 120 AD. And here's a quote from Tacitus. Nero fastened the guilt, talking about the burning of Rome, and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. Extreme penalty refers to crucifixion. So among other sources, we have the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, um, that reports on the eve of the Passover, Yeshua was hanged. Yeshua is Joshua in Hebrew. The equivalent in Greek is Jesus. And being hung on a tree was used to describe crucifixion in antiquity. The Jesus Seminar, John Dominic Cross and a uh, decidedly not Christian group. You're welcome to research them from yourself. He said that he, referring to Jesus, was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. And then we come to maybe the most liberal anti, anti-Christian scholar named Bart Ehrman. You walk into the bookstore, Barnes & Noble, and you can just pick up books off the shelf by Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman's a professor of religious studies at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He basically says that despite this enormous range of opinion, there are several points on which virtually all scholars of antiquity agree that Jesus was a Jewish man known to be a preacher and teach who was crucified, a Roman form of execution, in Jerusalem during the reign of the Roman emperor Tiberius when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea. So we have conservatives, liberals, atheists, anti-Christian, Christian, agreeing on the idea that Jesus was crucified on the cross by the Romans. Now, Gary, uh, Dr. Habermas gives an interesting anecdote. He talks about a German scientist who did an experiment. And he said, hey, who wants to be crucified? Uh, don't worry, it wasn't spikes. He tied men up with belts onto a cross, and he used two positions, one in the cross with the hands spread wide to the right and the left, and one with hands overhead. And he kicked out the stool, and even the strongest men would begin to pass out at 11 to 12 minutes. So he was explaining how if someone is crucified, they are moving up and down to breathe. If they're not moving up and down, they are not breathing. If they're trying to fake their own death, they're not breathing, they asphyxiate and die. And so it's a very obvious movement to show. And you had Roman centurions, you had Roman soldiers under threat penalty of death if they did not um, successfully execute the people they were supposed to. So, and they were used to seeing death. It's not like culture today where we don't, we, we, we don't deal with death and dead bodies all the time unless you're in a certain field. So well-established fact that Jesus died by crucifixion. The next fact is the tomb was empty and no one ever produced the body. Very important. If the tomb was empty because Jesus rose from the dead, then God exists and eternal life is both possible and available, according to Dr. Habermas and Dr. Lycona. And so they use the acronym JET 
And what they do is they explain that if you're going to make up a story, you don't make up the story that's false right in the place where people could disprove it. So the crucifixion and life of Jesus was famous in Jerusalem. So it doesn't make sense that you're going to be able to fool people by having this alleged story in Jerusalem. The E in JET acronym starts, stands for enemy attestation. The critics in the Bible even say that there was, there was no body. They say the disciples stole the body. Well, what does that mean when they say the disciples stole the body? That means there was no body. All of Christianity could be disproven if only someone had produced the body. And the T in the JET acronym stands for the testimony of women. Women's testimony was not taken at this time in history and society, the same as men. So if you were going to make up a story, why would you use people, women in this case, who didn't have as strong evidence. In fact, even though in the Gospels you had the women um, discovering the empty tomb first, in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection chapter, Paul does not list the women. He mentions the men. And so women being, using women shows that uh, it probably was not something made up because why would you use people without as much credibility at that time? So let's move on to fact number three. The disciples believed they saw Jesus after the crucifixion. This is huge. Now, this doesn't prove Jesus rose from the dead. Remember, this just says the disciples believed they saw Jesus alive after the resurrection. That's all it says. Now, how is this different than the 9-11 radical Muslim terrorists who hijacked the planes and uh, drove into the, the, the towers. How is this different? Well, it's very different because the 9-11 attackers' faith was removed by, really, centuries, the same way our faith. Our faith is removed from the actual events by centuries. But the disciples now, they walked, they talked, they interacted with Jesus. They saw him die. So when they say they believe they saw him risen from the dead, that's completely different than um, somebody centuries down the road saying, I believe this. There's got to be a reason we, we believe this. And in conversations, when I say, man, there's a lot of evidence for, for Christianity, this is one of the points I bring out. Okay, now we have, you got to remember, two other facts here we got to go. Paul, the church persecutor, um, converted, and he used to kill Christians. Some of his information is attested to uh, outside the Bible. This point's well-documented, reported by Paul himself in the Bible, as well as Luke, Clement of Rome, Polycorp, and Tertullian, and some other extra-biblical sources and church fathers. So, and then we get to the last main fact right now, which is James, the brother of Jesus, actually uh, converted. Why would he convert after death? Okay, so not only did James convert to Christianity, but his beliefs in Jesus and the resurrection were so strong that he died as a martyr because of them. Huge that he's willing to suffer for this belief. So his martyrdom is attested by Josephus, Hegesippus, Clement of Alexandria, and so his mar martyrdom is attested in Christian and non-Christian sources. 
Okay, so where are we in this argument? Basically, we're establishing historical facts that both conservatives and liberals both agree on. And here's the facts one more time. Number one, Jesus died on the cross of crucifixion. Number two, the empty tomb. Number three, the disciples believed they saw Jesus after death. Number four, the disciples were willing to suffer for this belief. And Paul's conversion and James' conversion. Let me go back to number four, the disciples willing to suffer. Um, J. Werner Wallace does interesting study because he's, in as a cold case homicide detective, he's done thousands of interviews, lots and lots of interviews. And when you have people that are, you're trying to break a conspiracy, let's say there's two or three or four people together kind of holding a secret, this is kind of the equivalent of the 12 disciples. Now, there was many more, but let's just say 12 disciples. There's usually... Um, a motivation for them to be able to hold on to a lie. There's got to be a relationship um, aspect or sex. Um, there's got to be money or power. There's got to be a reason or a motivation for them to lie. And when breaking um, these lies up and people have conspiracies, basically he has certain rules to it. And one of them is the fewer the people the more likely they'll be able to hold on to it. The less of the pressure exerted on them, like, you know, not threat of jail or, or taking into a police station and questioning and repeating your story over and over. You know, when you have less pressure, they might be able to last long. And if they can communicate with each other. Well, the disciples spread out all over North Africa, Rome, all over Asia Minor. So they had different places. They couldn't talk to each other. They had extreme pressure. And we know that beyond a reasonable doubt, Sean McDowell writes his dissertations on the fate of the apostles. And he says, four beyond a reasonable doubt died. Many of the others probably did, but to varying degrees of evidence that we have. So... The idea that the disciples were willing to suffer for for what? For what? There was no motivation. They were accused of sedition by the Romans, by blasphemy by the Jews. What exactly did they gain at the time in the first three centuries? Christianity, there was, there was no real big motivation to become a Christian unless it was true. Okay, so now let's look. Once we have these facts down... And the way that I share this in conversation is I use this really nice word, this really nice word. I could talk about this for, the, for half an hour. The word is if. I use the word if. I say, look, I've talked to people and shared this on airplanes, in coffee shops, at work, school, all over the place. And I just say, look, you just met me. You haven't looked into this. I encourage you to look into it on your own. I give them the websites. Um, I try to give them free stuff so they don't have to buy a book. Um, I say, I'll meet with them again. I'll talk to you about this. But just just go with me if these are established historical facts, if. And using the word if, I think, just is polite. It's respectful. It lets them know that, look, I, I respect that you have a free will to make your own decision. I respect that you deserve to be able to look into this for yourself. And I have nothing uh, to gain but... I think you're trust when you start looking into this with an open mind. So that's how I share it. I say, if these are established facts, then let's look at what are some of the alternate theories are and if they make sense. 
one of the number one is, number one theories is hallucination theory. The idea is, okay, gee, uh, all the apostles hallucinated. So let's look at this for, for a little bit. Number one, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense because even if they did hallucinate, where's the body? It doesn't explain the empty tomb. It doesn't explain the idea that there is no body and no body was ever produced. Hallucination theory also, is it's kind of like saying, I had a great dream last night. How'd you like it? It doesn't make any sense. And furthermore, hallucinations are single scope. You either hear or see something. But the disciples saw, talked, interacted, and were invited to touch Jesus like Thomas was. So hallucination theory doesn't make sense of the facts and the evidence we have today. Furthermore, let's look at the swoon theory. This is kind of a little bit older. It, it's kind of taken a back seat among academics, but the swoon theory doesn't make sense either. The swoon theory says that Jesus swooned on the cross. They thought he was dead. They put him in the tomb, and he got out of the tomb went to the disciples, and boom, you have the beginning of Christianity. Well, let's think about this. Roman soldiers who saw death all the time and were experienced at this somehow mistook Jesus for dying. Remember the example I said that Dr. Gary Habermas said, there was, there's movement on the cross. If you just lay there and fake or pass out, you asphyxiate and you die. And so we're saying with the swoon theory at least the, the idea here, is that Jesus got out of the maybe 75 pounds of wrapping material, moved the stone, got past the centurions, got past the soldiers or the guards, or the disciples helped him or overpowered them. He made it to the upper room where the disciples were scared and hiding, and he literally revolutionized their life to where now, instead of scared and hiding, they were going throughout the streets and preaching without fear, willing to die for their faith and telling people, you killed the author of life, but we witnessed his resurrection. It doesn't make sense that if he swooned and survived the beatings, the dehydration, the cat of nine tails, the whipping, the scourging, it, the, the crucifixion, I mean, if we saw Jesus come in the upper room, I think what we would say is, do you want a Band-Aid? you want bandages? I mean, it, do, it just doesn't make sense. And the last one is the stolen body theory. And the big thing is, it doesn't meet the facts. You're telling me that the disciples who stole the body, they now, with no motivation for relationship, money or power, or prestige or anything, they suffered and died for a lie? And then also Paul, who was sincere in his Jewish faith, suffered and died for a lie. It just doesn't make sense to me. And then you've also got to have the James, his brother, his brother turned around and he also was martyred. So stolen body theory doesn't match the facts either. So I submit to you, and this is really the main point from Dr. Habermas and Dr. Lycona, that these alternate theories the swoon theory, the hallucination theory, the stolen body theory, these do not fit the facts and the evidence as we know throughout history. They don't fit those facts, okay? And so the most reasonable conclusion that we can come to 
that I submit to you is that Jesus rose from the dead, that it was a resurrection, and that Jesus actually rose from the dead, and um, we have the opportunity to accept him as our Lord and Savior. And so the only reason, the main reason that people are not going to accept the resurrection after understanding these historical facts and looking into it is they will not believe in resurrection. And that, and believe in resurrection by miracle, because of course it's miraculous. Now, Dr. Frank Turek, in his book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, that he wrote with Dr. Geisler, he says that people reject Christianity for three reasons, intellectually, emotionally, and volitionally. They just don't want to. And so we're talking to people intellectually, we're trying to inspire them emotionally, but if they don't want Christ, we can't force them. We can persuade them as much as we can. So in conclusion, if you are listening to this argument, the way that I share this in conversation is I say Christianity boils down to one three-word question, is he risen? Because if Jesus lived, rose from the dead, and was resurrected, we can accept him as Lord and Savior. And I'd invite you to do that right now if you have not done that before. And I want you to remember the ABCs of salvation, accept believe and confess. I start with confess. We confess that we're separated from God. This is easy for me to see in my own heart, but easily on the evening news. I'm not, we're not surprised when we see murder and rape and confusion and uh, crime, right? We confess that we need God. The religious word is sin. We're morally corrupt and separated from God. We need to believe in Jesus Christ in his deity and resurrection, and if we accept him as Lord and Savior, then we can know him, and he can know us, and we can know him for eternity. And I invite you to do that right now. Well, I want to end with Nate's um, closing. I love his line. He says, an open mind, an honest heart, a humble disposition, a diligent search always leads to Jesus God bless you, and if you are a Christian, I just invite you to give him heaven. This has been Grant Set. Thank you. You've been listening to The God Solution. We hope that you were encouraged by what you heard today and are better equipped to share Christ this week. You can get the audio from today's broadcast and all the past God Solution shows at godsolutionshow.com. Thanks for listening and being a part of The God Solution.